kind of our theme is that there's hope um, through relationship. Not only hope there for peace, but hope in our lives. And it's through relationship. And that's kind of what we have woven through and that we saw yeah. um, on our trip. So we want first for you to get on the bus with us from Tel Aviv, uh, where we landed, mm -hmm. and head towards Jerusalem. Nope. Off to you. <laughs> okay. So um, I guess from, I just remember the bus ride. I was sitting in the back, and Scott and Ted were next to me, and I felt like um, Scott was kind of telling us some things uh, and showing us around, and it was all just so foreign to me. But um, everything was very beige. I remember that. And all the buildings were similar and very structurally uh, set. And it was rockier than I thought. Well, Tel Aviv actually was more foresty than I thought. And we were just, uh, just driving through. I was just like preparing myself for what we were all going to experience. And then I remember getting to Jerusalem. We were headed through East Jerusalem. And I guess we had taken a different route than anybody else had taken before. And nobody had seen this before. But um, going through East Jerusalem, it's just completely ultra-Orthodox Jews. And so you see, I remember I was told on the plane by someone that lives in Tel Aviv that the bigger the hat, the more religious they are. And so, so you'd see these huge hats, these black hats and these nice suits and the curly sideburns. And um, it, was, it was just like this whole new world. I just had never seen that before. And it was this city full of them. And then, and then you drive and you get into, I guess, was that East Jerusalem? And then, where do we stay? We stayed in more... Yes. Okay. Well, yes. And then where we were staying, it was predominantly Muslim. So you see coverings everywhere. And just the cultural diversity, um, the religious diversity was so shocking at first. Um, I remember when we, got off the, when we got off the bus, Ted, one of the guys with us, said, so we've been here a week already? <laughs> and it had only just been a bus ride. It was just, like, so overwhelming. Um, but so right away, like, uh, I wanted to go walk around. And so Ted and I went and explored inside the old city of Jerusalem and went through the markets. And it, everything was kind of shutting down a little bit, but there were still people out. And, I mean, this was literally, like, after two minutes of getting there. And so we're walking through, we're walking through the city, and there's this, we're just walking through, and this guy stops us and tells us to come in. He's like, come inside. And so we go into his little shop, and apparently um, it, it was this cave that had been there for hundreds of years. Um, and it was beautiful, but he was an Armenian man, and he was just so kind. And he was like, welcome home. He kept saying, welcome home. And he was saying, this is everyone's homeland. And he invited us in for tea, and we had some mint tea with him. And he just wanted to know about us, what we were doing there, um, he would just want to know about our lives, like where we lived in America, and um, just asking a lot of questions. He was just really engaging with us, and just, it was, I didn't get this sense of he wanted our business or anything like that in a shop. It was just friendship, and um, he began, I have this little bracelet, and I know you've seen this before. It's a, the cross, and then there's four crosses around it, and he was explaining to us that that's the symbol what it means is um, Jesus in the center of Jerusalem, of the east and the east and the west and the north and the south, and so which is so, like right away that was so fascinating to hear because I had already seen such diversity in the east and the west, and <laughs> so, and then hearing him say 
um, that their hope is Jesus is at the center. And here's this Arminian man. Um, I don't know, it was just such diversity and like um, just forming a relationship with him right away that kind of like kick-started all of it for me and how important relationships were there. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So it didn't take long for the journey to begin. Um, we started to see the sights, and we had a wonderful guide, and her name was Ruby. And so, um, as Scott said, the people are the most important thing you know, anywhere. And so um, what I remember and what Katie remembers is Ruby. And Ruby would carry a red flower. So whenever there was a big group of us and she'd hold her red flower up, and that was our group. So there were lots and lots of people there. And she was a Palestinian Christian. Um, she had three sons in college at Bethlehem University, just, you know, normal, normal, and full of life and funny, and she brought the Bible alive. Hmm. And um, there's three things that she said that I remember, and um, Katie has one that she's going to add. Um, they're just really simple. We went to the Pool of Bethesda where Jesus healed the lame man, and she said, um, of course, you know, he needed him to put him in the water, but also he couldn't swim. And it was just a thing I just had never thought about, that he couldn't swim. So it would be scary to get in water if you couldn't swim. And, and we saw that pool. And so it just brings it alive and something that I just would never, she just said it in passing, but I just remembered it. And um, then when the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and she talked about the meal they would have had and the wine they would have had to drink. So they would have been sleepy. And so it just made perfect sense of why they would have fallen asleep. And it just, you know, it's in context. She lives there. She's been there for generations. And so it's almost like it's her people mm -hmm. that this has happened to. Mm -hmm. And then um, we went to, uh, they built churches over all these sites where they think maybe possibly this happened. And so this was a church, I think maybe this was real, it was the courtyard where Jesus um, was brought through for this, his trial and where Peter denied him three times. Mm -hmm. And there's... Uh, uh, picture, I think it's mosaic, I can't remember exactly, and she talked about the two charcoal fires, and at one charcoal fire was in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus three times. The other charcoal fire is when Jesus resurrected and he fixed the fish and fed them, and where then he asked Peter if he loved him three times. So the three denials, then three times he gets to say that he loves him. And so there just was that the charcoal fire, and then we went to that place. Mm -hmm. on the Sea of Galilee at the end of our trip, where that happened. And so it just brings the Bible alive and real. Um, the weather, it was cold, and it rained, and there was sleet, and there was hail. And I don't know about you, but anybody I've asked, we picture uh, Bible times and Jesus walking around with sandals and dirt and dry and rock. And there are hills and beautiful flowers and greenery. There is the dryness and the rock. But I've never thought of it being cold and rainy in those days. And it doesn't talk about it much in the Bible. So it just, just being there and then hearing these stories, just little snippets here and there, it's like, whoa, it just, yeah. it becomes a bigger thing. And it's just very real and just more real life. And um, it just changed. I, I had a little bit of trouble. It took me about a week after I got home because it's, it's not how I pictured. And this is my third time to be there. And, and still, good. it was just different. And just the rain and the cold was a really big thing for me. Because yeah. one day we got sopping, sopping wet. And so we're wet from head to toe and we're cold. It's like, well, this would have happened to Jesus and his friends and the people that lived there. And they didn't have some of the conveniences we have now. And so it just, it just takes me a while to readjust my picture of what it's been like. Yeah. So 
You add your uh, the mountain. Oh yeah. Um, oh, you go ahead. Well, the place that really. Um, there were some places that I was having trouble connecting with and um, because there were churches built over them and we weren't sure if Jesus was actually there. But one thing that like, kind of came to life to me was when we were looking over the city of David. And Steve, you were the one that, that said this. I guess someone had told you. But um, there's a psalm where David wrote where he's saying, um, I look up to the heavens, where does my help come from? And looking out at this, like the city of David is kind of like in the center and then there's these mountains up above it. And... Uh, when he's standing down in there, I always thought he was just kind of like praising God, but when he's standing in there, he's looking up and seeing these armies come after him, and he's here by himself, and he's saying, God, where does my help come from? And then quickly after questioning God, he says, my help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of the earth. And so, I don't know, that was a really awesome picture to see that, um, to get that visual. So there are some things like that that just brought it to life, like she was saying. Um, at the end of our trip, we went to Caesarea, and um, that's almost all Jewish. I guess it all, all is. And um, all the little, the little children, you heard them calling their dad, Abba. And so yeah. it's like, oh, my gosh, it was just amazing. Abba. I'll never forget. Because, you know, Jesus saying we can call our father Abba now. And here are these children calling their daddies Abba, which is daddy. Mm-hmm. And that was really that was a, cute. A, a cool thing. Uh-huh. Um, the next thing that we wanted to talk about is um, probably the most powerful thing to us is when um, Renee, who is a um, Jewish woman, came and spoke to us. And then Rami, who is a Jewish man, and one of his best friends, who is a Palestinian man, spoke to us. Mm-hmm. And those were really powerful things. And um, in the midst of pain and suffering and loss, they bring a lot of hope and peace and are working towards that. So and it was relationship that, that brings the hope. And so um, Ren- you- yeah. um, So we met Renee the first night, and she works in the government in, in Israel. And she's, she's young, but she... Um, I think she said that she was 22 years old when she first met a Palestinian. And up until then, it was just, they were just very villainized. And um, it was just her enemy. And that's all she had grown up to know him as. And she was invited one time to, um, I guess it was like this program or some sort of little camp that was supposed to, it was a project to try to bring Palestinians and Israelis together and just try to, try to work towards peace. And at first, she was just, like, not having anything to do with it. She just deleted the email. Or, and, and then she said the next day, her friend asked her about it. And she said, um, and they said, did you get that email? And she's like, yeah, of course. Why do you care? And then they, they said, well, what did you think of it? And she said, well, I deleted it. And then he said, well, what are you going to tell your children one day? Like, what did you do to help this, this situation, this conflict? And she said, what am I going to say? I deleted the email. And so she decided that she was going to do something, and she was just she was going to try. She was going to try to form a relationship, to go and see what this is about. And so she went, um, and and so she went, and she said that at first, like it was okay, like she was very very nervous because she had never had any sort of relationship with a Palestinian, and um, for all she knew, like they were evil, and so. She was very nervous going into it, and she said, like, it was, it was easy, kind of easy at first. Like, people were nice, and it was just short conversations, but people were kind. 
and then she left and came back the next day and people just kept being kind to her and so she kept feeling easier and easier and throughout it she she started forming friendships with people and then um and then towards the end they had this dance kind of like wrapping things up and there was just one guy that she had not formed a friendship yet with yet and they were just kind of um there was tension the entire time and so finally they were dancing and she said that they had been drinking a little bit and I guess they were a little more loosened up and she had gotten cold and asked him if she could, she had danced with him and then asked him if she could borrow his coat. And she said that he let her borrow his coat. And I don't know, it was just in that moment where it was just a human being caring for another human being. And she saw them as humans. And in this this camp, in this program, she was able to just um, bring bring them to life as human beings and see that they they are dealing with the same thing she is like they're trying they hope for their the future for their family they hope to put shelter over their family's head and have um their children grow up and be educated like all these things that we we hope for in life like it was the same needs and so that was the first time that she had a relationship and it was just the relationship that was key and then rami um should i read that yeah so rami is um, I don't know his friend's name, but him and a Palestinian, um, they work together in this thing called Parent Circle. And this is where families who have lost um, family members and loved ones in any of the wars, have they come together and they work together towards peace and they say, we're not having this anymore. And Rami was just, oh my gosh, like I could talk forever about the words that he said. He was so profound and just, um, he, you could tell, like, this is his life. This is his, um, his, his goal now is to basically, he lost his um, seven, or no, 14-year-old daughter one day. Um, she was killed by a suicide bomber. And he, he was really mad for, like, a really long time, understandably, and he had so much anger festered up into him. And he didn't... Um, he didn't know how to get out of it. And he kept saying, like, I needed a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I needed a reason to live again. And he couldn't find that reason. And so finally, um, someone came and knocked on his door and asked um, if he would join the parent circle. And, and it's just this group of thousands of, I mean, I think it's like a thousand plus Palestinians and Israelis, families, bereaved families who are working together for Um, to stop this and he's saying we're not animals we don't have to kill people we don't have to fight like this and um, so part of his goal in life like his he says he's redefined himself with a goal in life to make sure that kids don't grow up learning to hate and they're not poisoned to believe that um, that they're they're enemies and they have to hate each other because it just creates this cycle of of hate and I mean we see it there we saw stones throwing and we saw tear gas thrown and um, the kids, that's how they respond when they're hurt and they're mad, and that's what's taught. And so the parent circle's goal is to, um, is to train them that they can, um, they can see each other as, as people and human beings and that they can, they can possibly love one another. So that was hopeful. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, Renee, something that she shared is, that was impacting for me is she talked about the fear that the Jewish people have um, that because of the Holocaust. And we went to the Holocaust Museum, I think it was just the next day, and so we got to feel that and see it. 
you feel trapped in there. And they did that on purpose, the way it's like a triangle. I even got lost a little once in there, and I had a hard time getting out because you couldn't go through the middle. You had to wind around. And so it was a very unsettling feeling. Mm -hmm. And so she talked about the fear um, and that they have enemies on all sides. And um, so I just got more of the feeling of that being a root is fear. And, um, but she, you know, is overcoming that. And one of the Palestinian friends invited her to a wedding, and she couldn't get a permit to go um, because it's in the West Bank on the other side of the wall. And then um, she invited her friend to an event, and she couldn't get a permit. So it, now she has a face to the enemy, and the other has the face, and they become friends, and then they can't get together. So they're working towards that happening. So all the people are, it's, they're, it's like enemies, are working together to bring peace, and they become friends, and there's faces now. And there's so much to relate that to for us instead of just thinking of, oh, this is about the trip and over there, um, because it's all about relationship. And we have those conflicts in our families and at work and at school and in churches and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just applies everywhere for different groups of people. Um, and that they can overcome what they overcome, then I think, gosh, surely yeah. I can. Um, they passed around Rami and his friend on the phone, the picture of their daughters. Um, you know, as Katie said, um, one was killed by a suicide bomber. The Palestinian's 10-year-old daughter was killed by an Israeli soldier who shot her in the head as she was walking home from school with her sister and friends. And so these two men are, and you can see it in them, that they love each other mm-hmm. closer than brothers. And it's just remarkable as you're passing this around and seeing their pictures. And to see them and to watch them, you see and feel the love that they have for each other. And so all, all the people that we saw and got to hear from, that's what they communicated, is that there is hope and that we will bring this peace about because we become friends and we have a relationship. And then you can't um, do all these terrible things to your friend. Yeah. And so in the midst of of everything was lots of hope and beauty and joy and happiness. Uh, It's amazing. So we haven't gotten very far, and I think we have five more minutes. (laughs) But that was the most powerful uh, thing of the whole thing. And our group was wonderful. There were 13 of us, ranging from Katie's age to 87. And so it was just remarkable. If we could all get along and have this great, wonderful time, then surely anybody can. It was just really great. Um, But... We got back on the bus, and we headed on the other side of the wall to uh, Bethlehem, and we got to um, be with what's called the Shirok Society, and it was a Muslim woman, Fatima, and um, they fed us this wonderful meal, and um, Palestinian women and Israeli women worked together to create art. So one might do a design for, um, you don't have that little person on you, uh, this embroidery, like they might do the design, a Palestinian woman and the Israeli woman sews it, or vice versa. So, again, it's putting two groups of people together mm-hmm. to bring peace and try to work at reconciliation and um, things changing. And so that was really another place of hope. We went to what's called the Tent of Nations, and um, that's another amazing place where the same thing is happening. So you can get some bad pictures and bad feelings and sadness and why does this have to be this way? And then you go to a place or you hear the people there and they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's really remarkable and affects us in how we live our lives here 
You know, I can get my hurt feelings hurt because uh, somebody says something that hurts me, and that's just not no comparison to somebody killing my child. And that I can reconcile and become best friends is like, how do they do that? Well, there's something there I can learn for my context. So it's really a real privilege. I know we both feel to get to go and meet these people. Mm -hmm. um, Katie, you wanted to say something about the hope that you saw there at Ten of Nations. So I think at that point, you might were not feeling quite as hopeful. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, well, the day before we had the day before was not hopeful, and that was the day at the the Holocaust Museum. And um, what I was going to say about that is, you get this sense when you're there that um, that this is not over, and that this is I mean, it's still lingering. Their past is still lingering, and there's this fear that drives their actions and it drives them to um, hurt other people and you see that on both sides um, the Palestinians are fearful of their land being taken over and so they're acting out of fear too and so um, so there's this idea of um, I just kept I mean of course the whole time I'm just like these people need Jesus and they need to see that um, he can relieve you of this fear and while we were at the conference um, the conference the message there was his kingdom come and so I really feel like that's the hope in all of this is, um, is that all will made right will be made right in just one day. And but we can live today as if it as if his kingdom is here because that's what his ascension gave for us is that we can live and walk with him today and we can rise above our circumstances. And so this next day was so hopeful, like being at the Sharuk Society and Ten of Nations, because these are people who have risen above the circumstance and they are loving people despite what they do to them and they are trying to create friendships and um, bring people together and in whatever way that they can and Ten of Nations Farm was wonderful like it it was up on this hill it was so beautiful and there's settlements all around it and they're the one place that has not been settled on and they've tried and tried for years and they've been through many many court dealings to to save their farm and and because of god's favor i completely believe their farm has um they've kept their farm and it's just so wonderful they have a camp there now for um for kids that for palestinian israeli kids all sorts of kids who come together and um they've really they're not allowed to build on their farm they're not allowed to have water they're not allowed to um i don't know what else electricity and they've worked b beyond all of those circumstances they um, they've received donations for solar panels they've created this really awesome rainwater system that collects all their water for them and it's just like God's providing for them and, and to me that shows me that God's at work there and you can see it in these people and you can see the hope in these people who um, are choosing they're choosing to um, to rise above this and choosing to let God guide them and protect them and so yes Ten of Nations was very hopeful <laughs> um, you touched on from the conference just you know we were there for a week so um, that and that really was the highlight was yeah. about the kingdom and um, Katie is looking to um, go in May and to work for an organization called Musalaha and Salim who heads that up spoke at the conference and he talked about there's um, two narratives two stories and that narrative gives people their identity and one was um, the Israeli story and the other is the Palestinian story and he said but there's a third one and it's the kingdom of God and so that trumps everything mm -hmm. and um, that just is has stuck the most with me and 
um, then we got to see people living out the kingdom. And um, so if they can live it out here, you know, then we can live it out here as well. If they lived it out there, we can live it out here. Mm-hmm. And so we got to see it. We heard it, and we saw it, and we felt it. So mm-hmm. it's not just words, but to get to see it is just really amazing. And the conference was about, there was about 600 people there from 20 different nations representing. And it was so empowering to see these people coming together in support of, of Palestine and Israel and trying to work through this conflict. And, um, I mean, just we prayed and worshiped together. We got to talk to each other and find out how, like, there's so many people doing things, I mean, not even in Israel, but maybe even surrounding countries where there's refugee camps or um, where there's just turmoil between them and Israel. And it, that was so empowering to hear people um, that, are really, that are really working towards, they're, they're helping out. And then this is what the body of Christ looks like, and it's, it's universal. And it's so cool to see everybody coming together. And There's many other places and things we could say, but... Um... You know, at the end, we went to the Galilee, and we tried to process everything and see more sites, and um, then we came home. <laughs> what we wanted to leave you with was this uh, quote that was uh, said twice during the conference. Hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to it today. Mm-hmm. So we heard the music, and we saw the dancing, and we joined in, and we hope all of you will join in, too. So thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we're going to come back with all of those thoughts and uh, into a time of worship. And there are a couple of things that I would like for us to, uh, and so as I'm, Nate, why don't you guys and gals start coming back with our worship team. Um, one, one, of the, one of the things in our generation that I believe that this type of journey addresses is many people in our generation have considered that our faith is irrelevant. If you listen to this sort of story, and if you listen to how those that are following Jesus are in the midst of a very current event, and in many ways could possibly be the, the a big solver of the problem, I mean, there's tremendous re- relevancy in that it just speaks to the relevancy of our faith in addressing very real problems on our planet. The other thing is I don't think there's not a person in the room that doesn't have fears. If you're young, a lot of of you that are young have a fear that there's no stability anymore. A lot of our young people have been raised in broken homes as if you know, family doesn't work. That creates tremendous fears inside of people. Well, why, what's the future about? That's fears. Uh, all of us uh, in the United States since 9-11 have lived with fears. They're out to get, it, get us. We've had, we have these fears. Uh, I don't think there's a single person that can't relate in some way to fear. Uh, the economy has soured. We're fearful. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And, and one of the, the really greatest sorrows I have is that I, I listen to a church at times that plays on those fears. Rather than a church that says, this is why we have faith in Jesus, because we overcome these fears. 
So Katie and, and Susan have just been telling you about people whose lives, every, I mean, everywhere they look, they could live in fear every single day, 24 hours a day. But they have a faith in Jesus that allows them to rise above those fears and to say, we want to address these very big, very real, very culturally relevant problems where we live. And my friends, that's the kind of believer, what, the kind of community that I hope for us to be. Not giving in to fear. Challenging one another to, to find faith in the midst of our fears. And then being people that are very engaged in a very real world that needs to see problems solved in the name of Jesus. So it's all of that that I would invite you to stand together and let's worship the God that makes all of that possible.